the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 103, where today we are going to be talking about partial differential equations. Now, this is another opportunity for us to talk about mathematics, Mm -hmm. which is possibly one of the best things, one of my favorite things that I would like to talk about, because a lot of people, they think of math as symbols on a piece of white paper. And I try to bring color to it because I really see it, you know, as this like, the scenery of mathematics. I don't know. I'm trying to paint the picture. So to anybody who likes to see beyond just math on the page, this is this is an amazing opportunity for, for me and Rayhan. Right. Because I think uh, a lot of partial differential equations uh, classes in universities, or at least the one that we took, uh, focus solely on uh, the computational aspect of a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today. Just and, the one that we took, though. Well, yeah. Because there is like an MAT. But, I, but is that a... Oh, right, right. right yeah, that might yeah, be a little more comprehensive. Is. I guess there yeah. are more comprehensive. But I guess the majority of people that might be... I guess the people that are really into math are already taking mm-hmm. those. Yeah. But the people that are maybe just about trying to get it, they're like, oh, let me take this and are just destroyed because you're like, what am I even really doing here? Because... Which one are you talking about? Just uh, the one, the that, one, we, where you took? The one yeah, that we took. The one that we took because you're you're computing things that you don't really understand. So I guess we're like, well, we try to understand. There was a missing piece, you know, things that they wouldn't explain that would have made a lot of sense for them to explain and that we thought about while studying for the exam. Because a big part of a lot of what you were just saying, like a way to like, I don't think you use the word visualize, but I think you were trying to say like the way you think about it is super important in, especially in PDEs. Cause I think in like the, f- a good, a good chunk of the semester, I was unable to really visualize what was going on in a lot of the things. Yeah. And that was really hindering my performance more so because I think I'm a kind of person that studies to more so understand like what's really happening so when it's just like oh learn that this is how you compute this i'm like but why you know without really understanding it so i think it took a lot of us working together towards the end of the semester and just kind of like culminating everything towards the exam to be like oh wait i think this is how that worked and i think a lot of it came together so i think like the thinking about it the way you think about it the I, I would also say visualization, but it does become very hard when you go to higher dimensions, of course. But uh, just like the way you think about these kind of problems, what it's actually representing, what the solution represents, like that's really important. It is you know? pretty funny also because taking a PDE course or even an ODE course, I think you realize at some point that what you're doing is kind of useless because there is no solution to a general differential equation. You can't just take any differential equation and say, this is how you find the solution. What people have done over the past, and this is why when you take one of these courses, it's like, this is the Bernoulli equation. This is the whatever equation. Like Every equation has a name because it's just because at some point in history, 
some guy was like, oh, look, this equation has a way to be solved. Mm-hmm. And those specific equations are the ones that we study in our courses now. So it's not just like we're going to study like partial differential equations in general. It's like, no, these are the ones that we know and that can be done like relatively by hand. And I guess like a kind of a brief sliver of intuition about how they work. And then they're like, now compute them. No, but I should also say that they do happen to be or not happen to be, but I guess like we also like that's how they were thought of like very relevant so it, it it's not like it's not oh, yeah. like no, it's not sure, like the sure. ones that we learn are a very small subset of the general pdes even though they are yeah. i mean of course 100 yeah. percent agree yeah. but would you say that all the all the other subset actually describes real world pro- real world problems as well as yeah these already do i think i mean a, a very big chunk of the ones that we know are directly related to like physics or right, like, exa- or like exactly real world saying. issues exactly like, like finance saying. or yeah. problems that right, we right. have to deal with in real life and then we have like we write down the equation for the behavior and then we try to solve it yeah and most of them we've solved like most of the ones that are relevant I mean, to us I mean, okay we like don't really your know stokes that. and whatnot we like of really course there that. are unsolved equations but like we have like most of the relevant quest or, or at least right now i guess yeah we never know what's what's in the future but i'm saying right now with what we know at least most of the partial differential equations i think have solutions and if they don't and if they don't well there are other ways to solve it but there are also like i wouldn't say supercomputers but there are softwares dedicated to solving differential equations yeah which is why i think majority of people kind of get derailed from oh why am i even studying this but i think that's like besides the point because I think the point of studying it is more so to like understand why, like how the software is working in the first place. Which is like a Which whole is, field on its own, it's right? It's a whole like field if on you, its own. If you do um, computer science, or like, I guess physical computers, I don't know if that's a thing, but like you do com- oh, computational physics, that's computational the thing. Computational physics, um, right, right. And you deal with like NumPy or whatever, right. or SciPy rather. They have like a numerical integrator but there's so many different techniques to integrating systems and it's kind of like it's a it's a huge body of knowledge yeah. and it's kind of your job to go in there and be like this is the method that I should use to integrate my system and yeah. now I will use it. <laughs> That's a good reference because there are like yeah. so many there are ways to integrate things inside by so like like an example of that thing. is just doing like you can do um when you do rectangles what is that called? I mean, it's just, I mean, I know there's triangular no, but integration. What's, but an, what's an integral with like rectangles? Riemann, Riemann yeah. Riemann, so Riemann. you can do like Riemann integration, which right, is right. like, it's kind of an analogy because like, it's not really integrating when you're doing sum, things. But sum. yeah, so when you do like a discrete sum with, with rectangles, that's one way you can do it. You can also do like a trapeze way where it like connects the It basically creates like a histogram of your data it makes and is it, doing a bunch of these things. Yeah, there are, there are tons of different ways right, right, using right. cubics. Uh, quadratics sometimes you want to get it's a yeah. weird system so you need to use like something that's more accurate or else it'll blow up in some way but yeah all this to say like yeah there's no like one way to do it it's just like the ones relevant to us we found like multiple ways to kind of hack through it and no like, numerical oh. integration is for like you can do well, it for no, the ones numerical you can't will work for anything it's, it's for the it's ones that you don't know but right? it's always approximate right it's yeah. not always exact yeah. but yeah but it's 
good enough, good right? Good enough. I mean, <laughs> like, like for what? For, yeah, for most yeah, for right, real right, world right. applications, right. you can literally set your parameters in Python to be like allowed error, right. and then be like, and then just ten yeah. or ten to the minus ten. You know, like, it's good enough. I mean, I don't know if that'll run, but like, I know what you yeah. mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, partial differential equations. Yeah. I guess the first thing oh. that I want to talk about. We didn't get into the. We didn't get into the. Oh yeah. We didn't yeah. get into the. Oh yeah. We, we forgot about we the. Got some so stuff. we got some news. So the first piece of news is that we hit five hundred thousand downloads. Congrats to us. <laughs> Congrats to us. I guess uh, we're actually at five hundred one right now, and uh, kind of a surprise we didn't post it. We're a little actually busy in the summer as well, which yep. <laughs> which yes. turned out to be very fun. But uh, we're still going with our schedule. We have a we have a cool interview lined up anyways that's besides the point but that was one piece of news that we hit so that's always amazing and just before we get into the episode i know you're excited let's just finish up with the comment of the episode this time not the comment of the week so we have Srinath commenting ray lev physics with parker and rayhan I, mean, I think he commented ray lev physics on another uh episode which is why it's funny he says you two are doing a great job keep it up Inviting and talking to great people of the 21st century. We people are getting international uh, exposure. Great job for making me feel physics. Raylev is your name and my last name. Yeah, I think think people. Oh, I I thought that was obvious. Sorry, sorry. Yes. Raylev is my first name and his last name put together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the comment. So that's kind of funny. So thank you, Srinath, for that wonderful comment. And And yeah. If you want to be next week's comment of the week, make sure to go on this YouTube video. And leave a comment and you might get picked. Super simple. So yeah. Super simple. Make sure to, yeah. you know, like, maybe show somebody. Who knows? But anyways, let's talk about partial differential equations. Right. So I want to bring it back to the basics just for a little bit, just for a couple minutes. Um, let's talk about equations and conditions. If you have an equation... Let's say it's a differential. I guess I don't think it counts as a differential equation. In some sense, it would. But let's say it's just y equals some function of x. It's not really a differential equation, but it's some function of y and x and y prime, but you're not using it. Whatever. This equation, you're writing y, your solution, in terms of x, the independent variable. How many conditions do you need on this? Zero. Why? Because you already have the solution. Now, if we go up to the first order, you have some equation involving y, y prime, and x. This is a first order equation. If you find the solution to this equation, turns out there's more than one. And that's because you need an initial condition, or I guess in, in ordinary differential equations, it's a initial boundary value oh it is right. an initial condition right because there's no Cause difference there's no, in, yeah because yeah. in this case it would be an initial condition mm-hmm. right so you need one condition and maybe an easy example is that let's say y prime equals zero your derivative equals zero well i can give you a bunch of solutions to that i can say y equals one y equals three y equals 100 so there are many different solutions but you you are required to give a condition For example, y at 1 equals 1. Then there is only one unique solution to that problem, right? Right. So in that case, the problem is well posed. Mm. Now, what you'll 
probably notice is that when you go up in order, you will need more conditions. And, you know, I'm not going to keep pulling examples out of my head, but if you have like a second order one, you're going to have just, two just parameters right. that can change. Um, and, you know, if you go up and up, you're going to need more conditions. It's just like one minus or, or I guess like the, the, the highest order yeah. minus one yeah. would be the number. because and, like Well, technically it is the, it is n conditions and the, the first condition being the solution with the right, parameters. Right. And then the, technically, the technically. next conditions are the ones that are being imposed. Um, but when we get to, um, I guess first I should say, when you're dealing with one independent variable, you can think of, of your condition as setting your solution equal to something at some point, right? Because you're on a one dimensional line and I say, okay, my solution is equal to this at y equals three or, or y at three. Or you can set your derivative equal to something or right. your second derivative, right? It's just a condition. When you get to higher or, or sorry, when you get to higher dimensions, you have two independent variables, for example, now your domain is two dimensional. So your conditions now have to become broader, right? Let's say you have a function of time and space. Now, imposing a condition is like, for example, I'm setting the source of information for my solution. And when I say source of information, it's kind of like you have your general solution, which will be molded by your conditions. And then when you impose a source of information, it suddenly snaps to the unique solution to that problem. So for example, if I say that I have some function of x and t, position and time, I can say that at x equals zero, my solution equals zero. So I'm, I'm putting a source of information down at um, like along the time axis, right? So for all points in time, my solution is going to be zero at zero. And then, you know, space can change as well, right? So then in the spatial side, that's when you will see like the variation and how your, how your specific equation will be molded by that condition. Right. Because your initial conditions are basically are basically describing what your solution will do, right? Because in we have higher level problems where you have. I mean, are we talking? I guess. I guess. I guess boundary conditions kind of flow through initial conditions. I mean, there is a difference though. Yeah. The the initial condition. It's not. It's not only the time I think, factor. Is I it? think technically it's the like boundary and initial is the same technically. Because I think the way that at least the way that. I understood it in terms of like physics was that initial conditions were representative of time yeah. values. No, that's what it right? is. But like, they're just words, you know? Oh, it's, like, so it's all just, so it's like, all just conditions, I guess, like just to solve it's, the it's equation. It's just in the language, right? right? If I say initial condition, I mean, initially, as in like right now, my solution looks like this, but then it evolves over time. I guess boundary. If it's boundary, saying, then right. it's spatial. I'm saying right. here at all times, it is right. equal to something. Right. Right. So let's talk about really quickly before we actually talk about some cool equations. Let's do uh, partial differentiation and then like integration. I don't think it's called partial integration, but it's just, no, it's just with respect multi to multivariable integration. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so now that you're going into the partial world, 
where actually when I was a first year, I thought partial differential equations was easier than ordinary differential equations because I like partial. It's like a part of it, you know, like I it's mean, just it, like it, half. It, okay, no, but right, no, that's no, just not right. I realized very quickly. Um, right. Now you're dealing with multiple independent variables. So instead of just saying like y plus y prime plus x equals zero, which is just one independent variable, right? Where you can actually see your solution on the graph when you draw it. Um, now I can say things like the derivative with respect to x plus the derivative with respect to y equals zero. You're dealing with different directions. And it's, it's cool at first because you're like, oh, like the problems that they give you are really easy. They'll say like the derivative with respect to x, y, z, like a kind of like a third order, right, is equal to zero. And then it's pretty easy. All you got to do is integrate with respect to z. You just get a constant and then integrate with respect to y, you know, a y pops out and then integrate with respect to x. And then you get all these things and it's going to be a third order, right? So there's going to be three parameters in that equation. And, you know, we get easy problems like that. But then things get a little bit more complicated when you go to like second order or you start dealing with with sums. Oh yeah, I was just going to say like right. even if you add first order right. equations it Adding starts to get term. harder. Cuz in one variable you can kind of visualize it, right? right? If I say y prime equals a constant, then it's like, okay, right? The derivative is a constant, so therefore whatever. But in higher dimensions, if I say if I say derivative with respect to x plus derivative with respect to y equals 0, then you're thinking so the derivative in one direction plus the derivative in the other direction need to cancel out mm -hmm. at every single point, right? So it's, right. it's harder to visualize. Um, and you can't really think about what the solution will look like, right? Like if you try to think about that, like what, what will the actual solution be? I don't, think you, be? Like, I don't know. I don't think you can. <laughs> you can solve that though. You, I mean, I guess that is the transport equation. Right, no? That is the transport equation. I mean, okay, so like down to the big meat of a lot of this stuff that I think took a little time for even me to really grasp into what we were doing in the first place is that, hey, this is like at the end of the day or like while it does represent computations, like they actually represent things that are happening, right? So like when we're talking about things like the transport equation, so like the very example that you just gave where you say the derivative in the X plus the derivative in the Y equals zero or equals anything really, what that's actually describing if you take a second to think about it is the way the way some kind of, well, it's technically an incompressible fluid flows. It's basically the convection equation. So that, and when you ask, well, what is it really describing in terms of this fluid flow? Is it describing where it is? No, it actually describes the density of the fluid at various points of, of the system. So when we're saying, for example, ux plus uy equals zero, or let's say ut, or let's say anything, with I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's mainly that the, the, the spatial derivatives are added. In that situation, if you think about it what, it, what it actually represents is a solution that states at every point an xy evolving with time, what is or how is this, this fluid 
flowing through these positions. So if let's say I have this gas, or technically that's not really incompressible, let's say I have some kind of liquid that I am, I'm, I'm not too sure on the specifics of it, but I know it's an incompressible fluid. So let's just take a liquid for example, and let's say I'm flowing it through various pipes and something, and I make this kind of convection equation, right? So I can try to model basically how much pressure or how much density this fluid is representing at different parts of the system. So again, trying to connect the mathematical side to the real side is, some, is sometimes important because sometimes you can lose yourself in like thinking about, well, what am I really solving for? Because the most common... Um, the most common letter used in all of in all of PDEs is U, so it's U sub something, and U basically represents your solution. And the problem with that is that U is like very different in everything, right? It represents something completely different in most equations. So sometimes you can tend to again get lost in the math and just think, okay, U is just a solution. But no, what is it really representing? Well, completely different things in completely different scenarios. So. That's where the transport equation even gets its name from. And again, all these equations just get names either from people who've like invented it, like Laplace's equation, for example, or, well, examples like this, or like the convection mm -hmm. equation where it gets from like a process that it models. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to talk a bit more about the transport equation because... Canadian, the way you said about okay. that one. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was just so funny. The transport <laughs> equation, because it, it'll lead us to understand the wave equation a lot better if we get through this. And if you're going to take PDEs like next year or something, this is actually a really good episode to listen to. But or if you're taking any level of physics, you should take PDEs. Is that oh, yeah. what you should say? Sure. Because any high level of physics requires a good understanding of partial differential equations. Last year, I think like I was talking about the fact that like I was, I did that research thing and we were dealing like with solving all these PDEs and like I was doing them like all on software. Didn't really understand like what is it meaning, you know? Now, nah. like, you know, so I would definitely recommend for anyone who is interested in going into physics, even it, even though the might, math might seem daunting, it is definitely worthwhile to try to understand PDEs. Mm -hmm. Shoot, sorry, go ahead. So I want to get this idea of information and how information travels. Um, it's kind of a... I don't want to say like a different way of thinking about a solution, but it's the way that I definitely think is the best way to think about it. Um, so the transport equation, just to be explicit, I guess it's the it's ut, so time derivative of the solution, plus a constant times ux spatial derivative equals zero. That is the the, the transport equation, and we did things called uh, dealing with integral curves, and when you have constant coefficients like these like here in this case we have one on the ut and we have c on the ux wait did you say c when you said yeah oh sorry my bad um, we have constant coefficients in front of the derivatives um now this technique of like integral curves is kind of a higher level concept that not even like we really understand how it totally works but what you find out is that you can like set up these terms that have to be equal to each other uh, depending on the coefficients of the derivatives and the f if the function were to appear in the equation. Um, there are some terms that have to equal each other. And so from there, 
you can basically integrate out and figure out <clears throat> some kind of imposed conditions on your solution. It turns out that for the transport equation, the integral curves are just like linear equations. Um, linear, what's the other word for linear? Affine, right? They're, oh, they're affine. affine. <laughs> that's, that's, isn't that to do with transformations? Well, but I guess anything affine. is a transformation at the end okay, of the well, day. Right, um, right. But yeah, so you can imagine... What? Did you pause? Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. Somebody just uh, rang our doorbell. Anyways, so the integral curves are curves that have... Or I guess, yeah, because they're general, right? They can take on any shape. They're, they're curves that your solution will have the same value along. Right, <laughs> that was right. not the right way to say it, but, but right. yeah, yeah. So for example, if you're, if you have lines, like let's say they're just horizontal lines, you can think of filling up your, your XT plane with just a stack of horizontal lines. And then along each of those lines, it will define the value of your solution. And each one of those lines will be, um, constant, right? Constant. Now, <laughs> no, where do you get the sense. integral curves from? I think I think you kind of glossed over that. So it's like I mean, quickly. So you, like you just well, I guess we're not going to get into setting no. up the equation, no. but you take the equation, you set it up in a certain way, and the reason it's called the integral curve is built, well, basically because you have to integrate the equation to then get the idea of the integral curve is that let's say easy example just x and t right so. In that example, if we were to, to solve for an integral curve, we would get t as some function of x plus a constant, right? Because we're integrating it because mm -hmm. there's no defined uh, mm -hmm. bounds. So if you draw that on a tx plane, also maybe we should explain why t is on the vertical because we always... I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, okay. Well, t is on the vertical a lot in, in uh, PDEs, mainly because of wave equation, I think, but we'll get into that. Wait, shoot, now I forgot what I was saying. Like integral curves you're adding a constant right so if you think about a drawing a graph where t or y equals some function of x plus a constant and the constant can be anything it'll just be a bunch of well curves or a bunch of lines well they can also be approximated or not approximated but they can be representative curves in higher order equations but in these situations these lines or curves represent as well you oh no i'm just speaking what you just i'm just saying what you said the solution is completely constant over so that's kind of how you get that integral curve and where the name comes from but it's more so why is it drawn that way because well you're saying that this function t is a function of this solves this solution that means in all of the situations where t is a function of this is satisfied that means along those curves the solution is valid or is well posed the correct term to use here? I don't know. The solution is correct along those, right? <laughs> I don't think correct. I, I think just like Wait, that's how, that's what it the is. The solution right? is constant along the curves, but along it's different curve, along the curves. But it's curves, different course, because, between curves. But it's different between so curves. So I think right, a really right, good right. visualization to kind of understand, because as soon as you can visualize this in your head, you kind of understand the character of the solutions to these equations. So let's think about this. Let's think about just concentric circles coming out from the origin, right? So it's just like you fill up your entire plane with circles. 
And let's say those are your integral curves. So along each circle, your solution will be constant, but going from one circle to the next, your solution can change. And well, how do you know what your solution is? Well, remember this is a first order equation, which means we need a condition, right? We need one condition. And so let's say that on the positive X axis, we set our solution to equal, let's say X squared, okay. right? So along the positive axis, we're forcing our solution to equal X squared. Now, what does that say about our entire solution across the entire plane, right. right? Well, you can just think about assembling your rings, right? Along, well, not along, but you, you, you take your rings and you raise them until they hit X, the, the half parabola, yeah. right? And so your yeah. solution is gonna look like some type of parabolic yeah. Uh, yeah. bowl, yeah. Yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And there you go, there's, there's how you visualize that. But you can put anything along the x-axis. Let's say we want a sine wave, which would have your circles kind of going like in and out, you know, like up and down. It's, it's a, yeah, visually, it's a little you know, weird to visualize, but yeah, I get what you're saying. You, you can basically, and this is, once again, your source of information. So when you, when you have integral curves, you have this general, I want to say like layout of how your solution can be. And then what you're doing is you're just pulling those integral curves up and down, depending on where they have to intersect mm -hmm. your source of information, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and remember your integral curves can really look like anything as long as it can fill up the entire plane. Because remember this thing, integral curves, oh, are kind of like contours. Yeah, well, they are. Mm -hmm. They are contours, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. exactly. And I believe we spoke about contours in some in some episode, yeah. and literally the exact like the exact what you, what you just said is the way to visualize well contours on a graph, right? Because the the like the issue is that contours are kind of or like level sets I should say for people qu quicker than I mean well level sets are defined as where where let's say for example we have x y z the level set onto the x y plane are graphs or i should say curves sorry are curves where z is constant that's just how level sets or contours well, are defined here z is a function of x and y right z yeah, is z. a function of x and y so similarly bringing it back to pdes we have we're thinking of integral curves as the contours and then if we're bringing it up to now the third dimension oh yeah i guess it's kind of like reverse exactly <laughs> reverse projection we're of reversing the, it exactly yeah. now we're thinking about it the other way instead of projecting it onto a contour map which is what we did in multivariable we're now thinking about it as a graph yeah. itself so so it's so, kind of interesting yeah no that is a, that is a good way to think about it if you were to have a graph the way to visualize that three-dimensional graph would be to draw the lines where you're function is constant right. and then project it down right but here we're telling you what the contours look like and then your job is to bring it out into right. three dimensions right. and that right. will do your that will that will, that will define be your solution, solution. Right. that will be, that will be you that'll be yeah so that was pretty good that was yeah. pretty good pretty um cool. going into wave equation because wave mm. equation is really cool so wave equation is utt mm minus right. c u x x squared 
C squared UXX. C squared? That's yeah. just convention. C squared yeah. is just convention. And why is it convention? Wait, what? No, I, no, I know this. Why is the C squared convention? Oh, because it has to be positive. Right, because it has to be positive. There it is. There it is. Because, because the value itself has to be positive because, well, the wave equation, I guess you can kind of get from the name, well, represents light. Well, or at least can well, be used to represent light. It, 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 it can be used to represent light, of course. Not I'm saying, of course, of course, it's any wave. It's any, any wave. wave. You can think of waves any on wave. the water. Any wave. You can. I'm just it doesn't saying. even have to be like real waves, right? It can be square waves or like right. any type of shape. No, but I'm want, sure that's right? why they use the variable C. Because of I don't light. think so. No? I don't think so. No. <laughs> well, C, C represents the speed of the wave, but... It can be anything. Right? I guess C is also used for speed of the wave in astro, yeah, like yeah, in, in, in other, anything, yeah, in right. other fields. So I guess right. C is a pretty general speed right. of propagation of something. So, so yeah. it turns out that there are multiple ways ways to solve the wave equation. The easiest way is separation of variables, which we're not going to talk about today. Um, the harder way, which gives you more intuition, or I guess what we just spoke about, gives you more intuition onto the harder way of solving it. So you can treat your differential equation as an operator onto a function. So for example, if you have like the partial derivative with respect to X operating onto U, right? It's, it's an operation, right? Right. right. Um, you can write any equation as a differential operator. So for example, what I just said, um, UTT minus C squared UXX can be written as the differential operator of the second time derivative minus c squared times the second x derivative right. acting on u right okay now for people who know about factoring and using imaginary numbers the way you get like a square minus another squared um, wait, actually, do we need I for yeah, this? Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were when saying When did we before. use that's I? What I'm I was thinking of the exact same thing no, we, right now. No, we used, we used I at when some point. When do we use though. I? I don't think... Because I... Yeah, sorry. For the people listening, that's probably very confusing what you just heard. Because... This might have been for something just because different. Because Parker and I were talking about the makeup of the wave equation. And mm -hmm. we were talking about if it involves A plus... So basically, we're trying to make A squared minus B squared, right? It was because it's UXX minus C squared. So we were thinking A plus B or A plus IB into A minus IB. But at the exact same moment, I think we both were like, wait, I don't think we need I. Oh, it's the heat equation because it's a plus. I is That's in the what, heat I equation. Just, I is the heat right, equation. Right, right. I is in the heat <laughs> equation. So there's right. no I, I here. I is in the heat equation because you need the plus. Right, So right. forget everything we said about I. Um, you can break up your operator into two, right? You can have it as, think of it as like a squared minus b squared is just a plus b times a minus b. So now your differential operator is broken up into two operators. So the first one operating on u is going to be partial t plus c partial x. And your other one is going to be partial t minus c partial x. Um, and then what you can do is you can find the solution to the first one right. and then plug in that solution to the second one and you will find the solution, sorry, you'll find the solution to the entire thing. Well, the power of what you just like, like the UX minus C or sorry, UT minus C UX plus and then the UT minus. Well, those are, well, 
Transport equations. Transport equations. Exactly. So like that's the power of the wave equation coming from the transport equation. Because yeah. now you can think of number one, superposition, and right. number two, everything we just spoke about, all the integral curves. Right. Um, so your first transport equation, you know, we have a minus C or a plus C, right? Well, you change the sign between the two. But those are just constants, right? We, we didn't have any condition on the constant being positive or negative when we were speaking about the transport equation. No, but I mean, no, 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 that won't affect, no, no, no. That'll affect the sign on the- No, on it, the it will, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. saying the general transport equation, it doesn't matter what your coefficient is. Oh, right, right, It can right, be right, anything. Of course, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. In this case, yeah. right, one of them is going to be positive, the other is going to be negative, but you solve it the same way. Um, right. I guess something we didn't mention is that the integral curves um, of the transport equation, we did say they were straight lines, but more specifically, they're straight lines with slope C. So right. whatever your, right, ut plus c ux, right. c is going to be the slope. Or it might be 1 over c. So no, see, here is where, here's where c. c squared comes from. Yeah, see, now this makes more sense to me. Yeah, so here's why, yeah. here's why it's c squared, because you need the c, because c is the speed. No, c is the speed, I'm, yeah. I'm like almost sure. Yeah. It's not 1 over c. And I'm... Yeah, so C represents the speed of the wave, so the slope. Again, when you oh, say... Oh, right, because... No, the reason I was thinking of 1 over C is because we draw it. Yeah, because we draw it the other way. Exactly. When you draw yeah. it, it's, it's yeah. drawn 1 over C because you're doing time yeah. axis. Yeah. Exactly. So here, you're in, in the transport equation, C is the slope. So you can just think of X as a function of time. Your thing would be like X plus CT and then plus B, some mm. constant. Um, we think of C as the speed of the wave. I want you to think about it as the speed at which information travels. Here's why. I'm not going to go through the math, obviously, but the solution to the wave equation, because you can kind of, I guess, draw the connection between splitting it up into two transport equations, the solution is a superposition of two transport equation solutions. And because one of them was positive, one of them was negative, that means that the first solution, I guess the first component to your solution is gonna be um, right traveling. So the integral curves are gonna be going, right, like inclined towards the right. And the second one with the negative sign, your integral curves are gonna be inclined towards the left. I don't think it's super important to note that the slopes will just be negatives of each other is going to be symmetric in that way um you're not going to have like one integral curve being super uh up and the other one is super also low. i think it's the other way around i think minus is right yeah right because uh, minus goes the other way sure it's equal to because it's t's here but yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah one of them is going to be right traveling one again, of them is going to be left traveling. again right traveling left traveling it's super important to also remember t is vertical because again, if you if it's not, then everything will be confusing. Well, no, it'll be the same, but just Nothing different right speed, left, but... different speed, right? Like, cause it's you just do the no, inverse. because no, because the right traveling on a t being vertical graph is equal to down traveling or right, up traveling. Right. Like, I don't know. I guess I guess, I guess something different. So yeah. So remember, t is on the vertical, which is where we think about this, and yeah. So that's actually where you can also think about. <clears throat> like what the solutions of these transport equation and therefore wave equation mean mm. coming from this one point, yeah. right? Which is like these two, okay, well, I guess, how do we define it nicely? From anywhere on along the, along the graph or along your system, 
the purpose of saying that your solution is defined as a, uh, a superposition of two transport waves, one going right and one going left. Basically, what you're saying is these two lines with slope C and minus C are intersecting at this one point. So that means they have to have been originating from, well, somewhere, mm. and that somewhere is usually the boundary. Right. So right. We, we spoke about your source of information. So and that exactly. So think about this line of logic. If your if, if your solution is constant along an integral curve, then if I tell you that at this point your integral curve has to be equal to three, then at any other point along that integral curve, it is also equal to three. So that's how you build your solution. If you figure out all of your integral curves and you match it to the boundary condition and i ask you what is your the value of your solution at the point x y well the first thing you do is you figure out where which curve is x y on that point and then you just trace it back to where that curve intersects your condition and that will tell you exactly your condition will say well right here it has to equal this. And so therefore you just say, well, if we say at, at t equals zero, initial time, your curve equals this. This is where we use right traveling and left traveling. So if your curve is a straight line, like a slope, right? It has a slope. You say at zero, it equals this. But then that piece of information that starts at time equals zero, but then goes off diagonally, right? that piece of information travels along the integral curve and then touches the point that you're trying to find the solution. So going back to the wave equation, because this is directly related, you, now you have like a grid of integral curves. Some of them are going left, some of them are going right. Your solution is just the sum of the two. So let's say you have an initial condition, right? At t equals zero, you're saying your, your function is a sine wave, sine x, let's say. Now I say at this point, x1, y1. What is the value of your solution? Well, what you would do is you would say, okay, well, first of all, this point is on the right traveling integral curve A. This integral curve goes back at t equals zero and hits the sine wave at whatever point. And then you're going to say this point is also on another integral curve that's going left. But that point at t equals zero comes from another position, right? It kind of forms like a triangle leading up to your point. It hits another point on the sine wave. And that piece of information has traveled leftwards towards my point. Right. Now I'm just adding those two values. And that is my solution. And remember, because it's just a constant, these solutions are always defined like in these regions. Like no matter where you are, like you will find a left traveling and a right traveling, even if it's like, usually it's not drawn, right? Because if you would draw all of the curves, it's basically mm. just like a continuous yeah. spectrum of curves. Yeah. But like it's, it's you know, you, you can think of them because it's a constant, you can just shift it just a little bit and then you're on it, right? And that's, this is actually where like the whole left traveling, right traveling, this is kind of powerful from, uh, from or, or, or it kind of defines your light cone, actually. Like from... Yeah. Is it yeah. from Brief History of Time, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Where light cone yeah. was, yeah. So your light cone, or I mean, I don't know if it's called anything else, but I, I, I maybe I would like to think about it like you, as you were saying, the information cone yeah. is basically yeah. 
all of the information that you have ever received in your past. So if you take your position in space time right now, wherever you are, and you draw these integral curves from where you are, basically, towards the start of time equals zero, which is from, let's say, when you were born, again, with slope C, which is being the speed of light, everything within that, spatially speaking, is things mm. that you or your light or your eyes could have received in terms of light. There's actually words for this. So the cone going from the past to now is called the domain of dependence. Oh, so that's cool. It is that makes like sense. the, it's it everything depends, that right. can make it like you must depend on everything right, right. that, or not everything, but everything that you depend on has to come from inside right. that cone. And then, I, and then you can flip it. On too. the other side, it's called the domain of influence. Right. It's and everything that you can influence. Because if you think about it, let's say right now, there is something that is that is one light year away from me. That point will only come into my domain of influence a year from now, right? Right. Right now, I can't influence right. it. In six months, I can't influence it in any way. Right. The only way I can influence it, I guess the shortest way, is if I send a beam of light directly at it, and then a year from now, boom, it will be influenced. I will have sent information right. to it. And the same, you know, if we go back to the domain of dependence, same thing. If someone is trying to, if I'm trying to depend on something, it has to be within that, that cone mm -hmm. or else it will never reach me. And that's your light cone. And it's a pretty cool thing to think about because it all originates from, yeah. well, PDEs and like the, the, like how your wave equation Actually, is well, that, that That's just with the speed of light. <laughs> like, well, no, I'm saying, well, yes, know. yes, but... It's also kind of how PDEs, because well, well, I guess PDEs to, depends on, well, it's, it's kind of like describing of, light. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, it's kind no, of describing that, that light. So, right. yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, um, but it's a cool kind of way to think about the wave equation because right. your domain of dependence is going to be if you draw back your integral curves down to the T equals zero line, only those points between your right traveling wave root and the left traveling wave root wave root can influence the value of your solution. Right. Now we didn't talk about um, like time derivatives, initial derivatives. Um, that's a little bit more complicated. I don't think we'll talk about that. But all the points in between basically influence um, your solution. And then I mean, yeah. time derivatives are like more physical. I feel. Because like when you say spatial derivatives, I guess you can still you can guess think about no, but it. But I mean, but you when know you say how time derivatives. You're basically saying, hey, the velocity has to equal this at this spot. But I'm talking about like D'Alembert's formula, how you have to integrate right, the initial right. okay, condition. We don't have to talk about yeah, that. No, of course, that's what I was. I'm just saying. saying. I'm just saying in the presence of like higher order, like time derivatives are only given in higher order. Right. So I guess oh, they, they don't really have apply to. to they don't have to. No, of course you need time derivatives for a wave equation. You need one time derivative for a wave equation. Yeah, but um, like it doesn't necessarily have to be a time derivative. No, but what you but what you're trying to say is, why do you need a time derivative for a wave equation? Let's think about this. <laughs> what does a what does a time derivative mean? Does it not mean velocity? So is it not? Like no, here here's what I was thinking. Okay, time derivative. I was saying like no way you initial derivative like also condition you, on the derivative also wait this is a big mis misunderstanding right here you does not represent speed of the wave no. or position of the wave no. U represents the amplitude, the amplitude of the wave, of right the exactly wave, yeah. that's also important again difference between like transport equation even though like it's kind of the same thing but again you not the same you means something else 
And over here, it means, well, the amplitude of the wave. So yeah, what I just said was completely wrong because it does not represent the position. So UT or UTT does not represent the velocity, but it, well, I guess it does, but it represents the acceleration of the wave. How the amplitude how is the changing. Amplitude, exactly. How the amplitude of the wave is changing. Which, which is, is what? not the same. Not the no, same. it's not the same. It can't be. <laughs> I don't but think. What do you mean no, no, no. Because what do you mean? Like, what if you, you mean? if you have water waves, like no, how fast is it I'm rising? Thinking in... I'm thinking about light here. Like, what's the what? Like, what does UTT different. mean? I think that's different. I don't know. That's different. I don't know. Actually. Also, yeah, no. yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe a little uh, bit above where we're at, but yeah, maybe, yeah, not 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 totally certain. But again, you just meaning different things in different contexts. Mm -hmm. So. Some things to look forward to, or maybe not look forward to, is the heat equation. The heat equation X is a little bit different. There's only one time derivative, right? It's uxx right. plus ut. Right, ut plus kuxx. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yes, that's yes. Right. Wait, right. then where does the i come from even over here? <laughs> no don't idea. You... Okay, I have no idea. We don't know where the i comes from. <laughs> there was an i somewhere. Though. There's an i somewhere. We're not sure. But the heat equation, on the other hand, represents diffusion of it's heat. minus k oh it's, it's minus, minus k, k? Yeah. oh so so wait so there's definitely no i there's something so there's some there's, so, something so there's an i somewhere. somewhere else so yeah so the heat equation is another partial differential equation that again we happen to stumble upon and say hey we have a really cool way of solving this and well it simply represents i think the best way to say it is well the diffusion of heat so for example i think a common a common example i think we were given is like for example I keep saying that, but let's say we take a rod, a metal rod, right? Yeah. And did we not like you subject it? To some, yeah, we like right. subject it to you, some conditions. You heat up the center of it, right. and then you see what happens. Right? Right. And then you see how it diffuses through the rod. So the initial right. condition is basically the temperature right. of your rod when you heat it up in the center. You have a, a distribution of temperatures. And then your solution will tell you how that heat or you guess how the temperature changes in the right. rod as time evolves. There are actually simulations online where you can simulate the heat equation, or maybe I'm talking about, I think I'm talking about another equation, but there are like where you can basically simulate solutions to partial differential equations. You can do it on Desmos <laughs> if you just do the... Oh, well, yeah, no, I'm talking about or? like, I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah, I uh, know, I, I, I guess, yeah, you know, yeah, totally right. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess you totally can. Yeah. But I'm um, saying... Um, where simulation as in like you, you, you give it a rod and you give it a temperature kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or in this case, it's a, it's, a, it's a heat equation. But I remember I was looking at, uh, what was it? What was it? I think it was how the electric field propagates throughout space. And the electric field is also given by a partial differential equation. It's what it, it was Laplace's equation, right? You were, or... What, so the electric field is also given by a partial differential equation, the way it propagates through space. And I mean, given some conditions of the system, like the simulation that basically set up art or, or what it set up was how the electric field propagates through the system. So I guess it would be similar in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, heat equation when you're just thinking about, okay, in this case, how is the temperature propagating through the system? So again, mm -hmm. different use, same meaning, but... I think uh, something cool that, like, if I would have taken this course before taking second year quantum, it would have been a lot better. Right? Partial differential? Where did yeah. this come up in second well, year quantum? Solving the Schrodinger equation. We never solved. Yeah, we oh, did. Right. Yeah, we, we did. Particle in a. <laughs> it was the whole the Schrodinger course. equation. <laughs> right. 
Right, yeah, no, no, um, no. Yeah, I so remember. particle in a box, Schrodinger equation, don't quote me on this, um, second time derivative minus i times second position. There's definitely an h-bar somewhere. Well, that would, that would constants. Sure, know, sure, i h-bar something. Anyways, something like that. The the point of what I'm trying to say How is there not a here, c-squared? Is there not a c-squared? No, I don't know, some, some no. constants. Anyways, continue, continue, sorry. The point of what I'm trying to say is that we were told, okay, here's the Schrodinger equation. Along the boundary of your infinite well, your probability density has to be zero, right? Because it's infinite potential. You cannot, under any circumstance, get across that. So you're confined to a box. Little did we know, they were just imposing a boundary condition. They were saying that your solution along the boundary equals zero and also zero outside of that domain. Right. Um, and then they essentially just said, well, okay, now solve the Schrodinger equation. Um, at the time, we were pretty much just guessing, right? Just guessing what it would look like. I mean, we guessed, uh, well, was it zero or was it, were we also doing like the exponential decays or was that, that was not infinite no we were doing well. that yeah that, that was uh we were also doing the decays was finite potential right, well, finite where potential well. right 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 the wall i mean i guess we were understanding it more actually over there but we don't didn't really i don't know no? <laughs> i didn't understand like what i was i was going like okay boundary condition set it equals to zero and then you deal with the constants no because the way that i thought about it was like okay if it has to equal zero at the boundary that means it has to have like a node at the boundary that means it has to be like a sine wave you know like it can't be like a cosine wave at the boundary so that's a pretty intuitive i would assume and then like if you for example have a finite potential well where you don't have a zero boundary condition then for example you would have a cosine wave at the boundary where it then exponentially decays outside right so i think like that was a basic understanding that i understood like like that i got from that not much apart from that in terms of like actually solving the equations, oh, okay, yeah. but just from understanding, okay, like what is actually happening with this, with these energy levels, right? They were representing. Um, yeah. So the particle in a box is a great problem to like start off. The U represents what energy levels? No. Uh, or, or does it U. represent like, What's like the, U? like the, Phi? like the, what we're solving for in particle in a box probability density right i totally forgot that right 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 i see yeah, different prob values of u again different probably. values of u in this case it's it's psi or phi psi yeah. see you said phi and i got confused well we use, we use phi and no you said psi and i would have been like right <laughs> but there it is there it is um <laughs> so this this is an easy problem to get started with because it's actually a harder harder equation to solve um but the thing that makes this easy is that you know from physical intuition that it, the probability probability density has to be zero outside of the box. So you don't really deal with anything outside. And then inside the box, your potential is zero. In an infinite. Yeah. Yeah, you said yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then your equation actually simplifies quite a bit. Um, yeah. Anything else right. you want to talk about? Right. So in a non again particle in a box, I mean in a particle in a box scenario where it's not a finite well anymore. I mean where it's a finite well now, then yeah. So then then you have to start thinking about well, 
what happens outside the box because again we're looking at probability densities now so that has a non-zero probability uh, probability density outside so now we have to account for that and it has to go to zero at infinity so why was it intuitive and exponential because it's a complex exponential what, what like uh, was it intuitive okay the reason is actually because okay your solution is e to the square root of a difference in energies and what happens is that if your uh if your energy is below like because if it's a finite well then you have like a shelf right right if the energy of your particle is below the energy of the shelf then what's inside the square root is is real and so it becomes an exponential but if you're outside of the square root then it becomes imaginary and you have a wave right and you have a wave that's why you get that so inside inside the box it's it's like a sine wave i guess if you're taking the real part and then outside of the box the the exponent becomes real and then of course if it was like or above it's a second order uh partial differential equation which means that you have two conditions um and if you think about this um you you have you have two exponentials one of them is a positive real exponent the other one is a negative real exponent um and it depends on which direction you're going how you set up your right. coordinate system. I mean, you but can also, one yeah. of them has to so, like yeah. one of them is unphysical. Basically, your yeah. your probability density can't be infinite. It has nope. to be bounded and integrable and part element of a Hilbert space. Yeah, because from like the right, you'll get one going upwards and one going well yeah. to zero, and you're like, well, it obviously can't go up to infinity, so it has to go to zero. Yeah. And on the left, you'll get one going downwards and one going to zero, and you know, like the other way around. So you're just like, okay, well, that happens. So a lot of this course, I think, is and, and an advantage, I think, a lot of it is intuition. Once you understand, like, how to solve, like, how, like, okay, this solves this way, this solves this way, then a lot of it is just, you just have to maybe do a lot of integration. And it's a lot of applying your knowledge on solving some equations on to solve something else. Like, sometimes we use these crazy tricks. Like, we haven't even spoken about, like, different coordinate systems like we probably won't, but I'm saying where you can use, you know, and you wouldn't really think about them like the spherical coordinate change and whatnot, but it's yeah. all application of the same stuff that we learn yeah, I guess. just in different just use to make cases. it easier. Right. Like it's hard to learn, but it makes it easier. Right. Yeah, so it's all just it, like, it's all just kind of tips and tricks here that it goes with this course, just ways to solve like the general ones that we know or we need. So mm-hmm. I think hopefully we brought, some people, some joy in terms of partial differential equations. Yeah. And some interest. If you a little bit. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to um, I don't know what, leave a like. Make sure to subscribe. Comment. Leave make us sure an to email. follow us and rate the podcast five stars on Spotify. Also, go on Instagram. Check us out. We're not unfortunately we very active. We're not active right now, unfortunately, <laughs> but we. We're trying to be so follow our Instagram, just math.physics.podcast. I mean, so is all of our other handles. So, yeah, thank yeah. you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we'll be here next time, which you know, we love to keep you on your toes. You're up, yeah. yep. So, this has been episode number 103 of the Math and Physics Podcast, and I'm your host, Parker, and I'm Ray, and we'll see you soon. Bye, guys.